0: Pop Culture Five podcast. I'm Jeremy Dove. And I'm joined by my partner in crime, Mr. Thomas Senna. Thomas, how are you, man?
1: Yeah, man, things are really good today. I'm excited about this one. Got a really great topic. I love our music topics.
0: Same, honestly. They're re- they're they're really getting from listening to our feedback so far, and I appreciate and Thomas appreciates everyone's feedback so far. It's it's been awesome. The music ones have kind of stoked the most passion and debates so far.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. And they've just been super fun, like just the revisiting certain artists and certain styles of music. And so, before this, we've done the hip hop one, we've done the Beatles episode, Mm. and so excited to do another music episode today, man.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, I know you've also, you know, before we get into our topic, Mm -hmm. you know, you've kind of teased on some past episodes about going to see. What has been like the topic, not just in music, but in pop culture in a lot of ways? You know, Taylor Swift, she's been just dominating this year, and -hmm. the movie came out, the Errors Tour movie. So you and your wife were taking your niece. How was it?
1: Yeah, I figured this would be a good time to give a little short recap of the movie since this is our music episode or one of our music episodes. So we went to see Taylor Swift, the Errors Tour in theater, and going in, I'm not a Swifty going in, you know, but I was never anti-Taylor. I was just sort of like, yeah, she's cool. I was like, she's fine by me. My niece really likes her. I've I've liked a few songs that I've heard. Uh, I just wanted to see what what it was all about. I wanted to see what, maybe not the hype, but just wanted to see what everybody was talking about. Yeah. Or whatever. So, yeah, so this movie, it's about two and a half hours or so. Um, it's just her concert, so there's no interviews. There's no backstage stuff. It's just the concert. And I got to tell you, Jeremy, it's really impressive, okay. honestly.
0: Now, when you say impressive, was it the show, like the showmanship, was it the music or both?
1: Well, most of it was maybe the show. Like and Taylor as a performer is really good. Like she was actually a lot much better performer than I even expected. And the show was just like like each song there was almost like a sketch or something or like a skit going on there was cool visuals all these costume changes the backup dancers were super entertaining i always kind of like each song i would kind of focus on one back one or two backup dancers and there were a few I, even after the uh the movie ended i asked my niece like which backup dancer was your favorite and she said oh that's a tough question and so we were kind of oh, wow. yeah we were kind of talking about that just the overall presentation of her show was really good and there are a few songs that really like bumped there are a few songs that really hit honestly I was sitting in the theater, going like, "Okay, oh, this is really, this is actually like, this is not bad. Like, it's not like this type of pop music isn't something that I would first turn to if Mm -hmm. I was just like had had an hour to just kind of kill time and I want to listen to some music. I might not put Taylor Swift on, but as but I have respect for her as a performer, everything that she's done and her fans. Like, Jeremy, it's so fun to see people enjoy something.
0: Yeah, absolutely." You know, No, I feel you on that, because especially just, I I don't know, just the way things have been, it's just good to have something that's positive, that brings a smile to people of different ages, different backgrounds, but they all can just have a smile. And that's what I've been really seeing from the concert tour, but also this movie, just Mm -hmm. a lot of people just happy and really having a great time. And that makes me happy. Yeah,
1: Yeah, for sure. uh, Because during the movie, they would intersperse crowd shots so they would you could you would see the crowd like singing along to her songs uh just having a blast and even though it's not like i wouldn't go to the probably go to this uh the concert and like sing along and tear up and stuff i I would go check her if i had the chance i would go see her live
0: okay i was going to ask that oh yeah did this make you if you could have you know like, oh yeah, seen her like this. This would have put you over the edge to be like, I'll I'll go see her live. Yeah,
1: definitely. If I if if uh, if somebody said, Hey Thomas, here's some Taylor Swift tickets. I'd hundred percent go.
0: Okay, that's awesome. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, but it was just fun to see people enjoy it. My niece is a is a big Taylor Swift fan, and she loved it. She had such a good time. My wife was impressed with Taylor Swift. Both of us were after the show. Were like, man, that was like really good. So my my conclusion is, I went in. Not anti-Taylor Swift, not necessarily like huge into Taylor Swift, just kind of like, she's all right by me. Give her a chance. After seeing the the movie, I'm pro-Taylor Swift, I think.
0: Awesome. That's good to hear. Okay. Okay. So you kind of, I was waiting to hear your verdict, because I know being a pop culture connoisseur like myself, I trust where you're (laughs) coming from. So that'll motivate me and inspire me. My niece, she's seven. She saw it with her mom. A couple weeks ago and now she wants to be a songwriter wants to have a keyboard wants to now she's just sitting at home writing songs and calling me up and performing for me so um Taylor Swift is uh she's um influencing my seven-year-old niece but it'll be cool so I'm hearing what you said I'll go check it out maybe I can uh talk to her about the film a little bit so that's awesome man
1: i think you'll have a good time again it's like two and a half hours i'm 42 now so i had to find time for like a bathroom break in there but uh so so just be prepared to be in the theater for uh two and a half hours but it's entertaining like super entertaining so i I think it's a good time to me just if you go in with an open mind uh, i think it's a really good time man so pro taylor swift here That's right. Pop culture five is pro Taylor,
0: and uh, (laughs) I'm I'm going to go see it myself, so I can't wait. So we appreciate. I think we'll do that more. You know, we have our topics set up, but if something is hitting both of us or one of us, that's Mm -hmm. like really got the pop culture zeitgeist, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it and break it down too for you guys and give our opinion on yay, nay, or indifferent. Indeed. But Thomas, it was great to hear your Siskel and Ebert recap. (laughs) <laughs> of the Eras Tour movie for Taylor Swift, but we're going to get down to business here, and that's the essential list. But this one, they're all special episodes, right? They're all special to our hearts. We love them. But this topic is really, in a weird way, the genesis of how Pop Culture 5 podcast came to be. Am I right?
1: No, you're you're absolutely right. So you've been a guest on my podcast, SNL Hall of Fame, I've been a guest on your podcast, your other podcast, Bigger Than the Game. So through the course of kind of getting to know each other and doing podcasts with one another, we ended up talking about grunge because both of us happen to be reading uh, Everybody Loves Our Town, an oral history of grunge by Mark Yarm. I think I brought that up. And you, you looked at me on the video screen and you're like, hold on one second. So you got up <laughs> and you grabbed the book and it's in it. And we were both in different stages of this uh, oral history of grunge book by mark yarm and we both realized that like yeah we had if we have a shared interest in this we're actually both reading the same book at yes. the same time which is pretty cool and so that's i think that's kind of what got the idea going about like hey you know i kind of want to talk you know both of our podcasts uh, that we do are pretty niche a little mm-hmm. you know my snl and you do sports mostly and we were both talking about like maybe we want to Venture out a little bit, like talk about more general pop culture. So it was because of talking about grunge that seedling of an idea started to form, and we really started to talk and make this thing happen.
0: Absolutely, no, you told that perfectly. It was just uh, before we were going to record an episode on with on your podcast, just talking about what we've been up to, how the summer had been, and uh, because this book has been out for you know I think two thousand eleven, two thousand ten. So I kind of was, like, excited to read it, but I was, like, I don't know who I can share this with. You know, I'm, like, I don't know who's going to – because it's an older book, you know. But then when you said that, like, you have read it, I was, like, oh, man, I have yeah. somebody to talk to yeah. about this with. And not and even that,
1: having read it, I was currently in the middle. I think I was almost finished with yeah, it. So yeah, you It was, you like, were a 12-year-old me. book that, like – I was currently reading and you were like starting to read, which yep. was kind of like weird, like serendipitous almost. And it was just was awesome. And that kind of led to us
0: talking about pop culture and our thoughts on podcasting in general. And that led to the creation of uh, Pop Culture 5. So that was a, a very uh, momentous conversation for both of us and for the history of this show. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when we're mapping out, you know, the first ten episodes, I felt like it's only right we gotta have essential grunge songs in there because where will we be? Where would Pop Culture Five be without Everybody Loves Our Town, this book? So I'm like, we gotta do essential grunge songs.
1: Yeah, I knew we were gonna do a grunge episode within the first ten or so yeah. probably. Yeah. So so in some form or another, I'm sure there's gonna be more as well. But grunge is near and dear to my heart, Jeremy. Because well, I was in late elementary, early middle school during the peak of grunge. Right. So, I like... that. When I started first getting into music, I liked hip-hop. I liked things like that. But I really got into all these grunge bands like as it was happening and a a lot of my friends in school did too so these were bands that we loved, that we loved like in the moment so this is like super special to me
0: okay so for me i'm I'm a few years younger but my brother is your age actually so i was getting into it toward once it kind of the peak had already happened and kind of It's going down the slide. Like, it's already this big thing. What was helpful, though, was um, we have an aunt who lives out in Washington State. So, and she's been out there since, you know, I hate to age you, Aunt Alyssa. But, like, since the early 80s, she's been living out there. And so she saw, and, you know, she's a teacher as well. That's the same profession as my mom. So she's a teacher, teaching young kids, you know, high school kids. And hearing them talk about these, you know, different venues and different bands that were coming up in the 80s and everything like that. And her, like, even knowing and seeing some of these bands around town and then seeing this explosion, you know. Because grunge comes from the Pacific Northwest out in Washington State, which I think is just, for me, is one of the coolest parts about it. That it it wasn't a New York thing or a L.A. thing or even, like, a Chicago. It's, you know, Washington State way out there. And, you know, it really came from a lot of bands skipping over seattle and portland they you know go right to la or san francisco and seattle residents being like hey we're going to start our own thing and create our own music and that's where grunge kind of started happening and bubbling i think that's just so cool
1: Jeremy. i was i was thinking about grunge i wanted to ask you and this has always been a topic of conversation amongst music fans and rock fans like what does grunge even mean yeah what does that mean to I, you? I was gonna ask you know that it, yeah
0: i look at it as more of a attitude and, and like a of movement more than actually i mean you can kind of look at music like like trying to say this is grunge but you know you have some grunge band because grunge to me is a mix of punk and heavy metal and kind of like that punk but slowed down and like that like that heavy kind of like I, you know get that guitar playing at heavy metal like crunchy but, guitars and yeah, stuff, yeah but it's more to me the attitude was speaking more to feeling like an outsider speaking more we're not talking about excesses we're not talking about mistreating women you know we promote women we we're not trying to be misogynistic and really feeling like hey we're not about selling out we're about being true to yourselves and i feel like and being kind of like the counterculture, and even though it became the culture, it became so popular once the early 90s hit. But to me, grunge is easier to define attitude-wise than it is musically for me.
1: No, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think you hit on something. They didn't necessarily talk about excess. They didn't celebrate excess in a lot of ways. If they did talk about their excess, it was more so introspective. Of like, this is how it's making me feel. Correct. This is how it's... Impacting my life in a negative way a lot of the time or whatever, so they would get more introspective and deep when talking about some of the excesses that we all know did exist in Seattle at the time and in that general subculture. Um, But I, I, I think you hit it pretty much dead on with how I feel about what grunge is. There are some aesthetic things too that I can hear it and go, okay, well that's when I hear this. This is what, to me, grunge kind of sounds like, more like in some songs more so than others. But that's not exactly what it is. So I think you definitely got to the heart of what it is. And I think grunge needs to come from a certain part of the country, too, really.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think that's where people put, like, Smashing Pumpkins. I I don't put them as a grunge band, but I see a lot of places that will say that. I think it's really... If not every member, but the core members come from that era, a mm-hmm. uh, time period, and also that area, because you know, I I remember I talked to somebody a few months ago, a, a person who's been a radio DJ for a long time, Alan Cross, and he said it, it. It wouldn't have been what it was if it came from one of these major cities. It had to come from Seattle. And for people listening, it's not the era today of social media and. You know, the Internet being everywhere. So we all feel like we know everything. You know, if you were in the West Coast, especially from someone like me on the East Coast, it was like, oh, like people, you know, there's a East Coast bias. The West Coast, you didn't really hear about a lot. So for this movement to come from Seattle and take over the country and the world, it, it had to come from a place like Seattle.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I definitely agree. I think bands like the Smashing Pumpkins, who I enjoy, me just too. saw them a few months ago, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah, Surprise, Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> we hanging out with we hung, Billy Corgan? Yeah, Billy Corgan and I took him to my favorite restaurant I, yeah. uh, in Albuquerque after That the makes show, sense. So. <laughs> yeah. Just a normal
0: day for Thomas, you know? It's just
1: how I live, man. Yeah. yeah what could I say? <laughs> so, I love the Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, even Stone Temple Pilots were one where it was like grunge adjacent, but to me, it's not necessarily... Grunge. I'm glad you brought them up. Yeah. Because I
0: see that more and more, and I never associated them with that in the time.
1: They kind of were, like, I don't know, like, growing up and listening, I think people did bunch, like, Stone Temple Pilots and and some of the grunge bands that we might get into on this episode together. Um, but I, st- I look at them as adjacent to the movement.
0: Yeah, I guess. And maybe that's a good way to put it. Adjacent and who is a part of the movement. Right. To kind of define it, like, better, because... I'm not saying I don't think Stone Temple Pilots or even Smashing Pumpkins, like there's like grunge songs like or grunge influenced or or really close connection. You know, they're all these alternative bands. But um, yeah, I guess it's better to say those who helped from like the ground floor make this movement
1: a reality. Yeah. Yeah, basically, if Mark Yarm didn't write about you in his book, then maybe you're not grunge. Touche. I like that. I like that.
0: <laughs> I think that's a good point. I think that's a good point. So, and I, I hope it doesn't influence like the list for you, but for you, Thomas, and I know it might be hard because probably at some point you've hung out with all these people, broke bread, <laughs> had them over your house. You've been over their house. So it might be hard. It might be a little biased, but who are your favorite grunge bands? Who were the ones that hit you? close home to you.
1: I think growing up so I of course I love like we talk about the big 4 that's Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, right? Those are like kind of the accepted big 4 in grunge. I think amongst my group of friends we all liked all of those bands, but I was actually the one who liked Alice in Chains the most out mm. of my group of friends. Even though I love Nirvana, I love Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, but I was kind of known as like the one who really loved Alice in Chains the most out of all of us. That I, that sort of became my thing in our little friend group there in middle school. Vincent Salazar, shout out to you. I don't know if you're listening. We haven't talked in like 25 to 30 years. I hope you're <laughs> doing well. But like Vincent and some other people, Doug Heron, we all love these bands. But I was kind of like the Alice in Chains guy. So that so Alice in Chains is like so like near and dear to my heart the other ones are too but to answer your question like man Alice in Chains is like my grunge band I guess
0: yeah yeah I guess for me growing up my earliest memories it was Pearl Jam had overtaken Nirvana and they were they they're the first band in my memory as being the biggest band in the world like that's a current band like obviously like we did our Beatles up the Beatles were but in the '90s, the Beatles weren't making music, so like as a current, like in their prime band, Pearl Jam was that first one that it was like they were the biggest band in the world, and everyone was like, you know, we got to get tickets to Pearl Pearl Jam's coming to the Spectrum, we got to be there. Like you're camping out for Pearl Jam tickets, yeah. and and like radio stations, you get call in two free tickets to Pearl Jam, and it was like all that stuff. But as I've gotten older. I agree with you on Alice in Chains has really just touched me and, you know, just really just the the way they sound, just that uniqueness with the, the double harmony, you know, with Lane Staley and Jerry Cantrell mm-hmm. is just such a unique combo that sounds so hard, but yet so beautiful. And honestly, like, I know she's very controversial, but as I've gotten older, I knew Courtney Love was a, a talented artist, but the music of Hole. yeah really has as i've gotten older i'm like man this they've they put out some really killer music too yeah
1: like doll parts the song doll parts still hits to me i still i still play that and 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 enjoy it like though that whole album uh live through this was just like it was really really good we i used to listen to that all the time in middle school and stuff and still to this day like they they have some a lot of really good stuff
0: Mm -hmm. and definitely uh you know Soundgarden. And Chris Cornell and that voice that, you know, just an amazing voice and uh, love their music and love what they put out. And those are some of like those first early hits, too, you know, that you kind of I remember hearing and Soundgarden. It seemed like some of their songs were the first songs that I'm just like, man, I hear this song on the radio. It felt like five times a day, but it was every day you're just hearing that Soundgarden song. So, Mm -hmm. you know, definitely shout out to Soundgarden and the late Chris Cornell as well. So. Just, yeah, so many different bands you can look at that just really... And I love that with this 90s like, renaissance we've been having as a society, grunge has kind of gotten that. And even some bands who maybe didn't get that love back in the late 80s, early 90s are starting to get that recognition now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Dude, I see so many younger people wearing Nirvana shirts It's insane. everywhere, right? It's insane. Yeah, everywhere.
0: But what I'll give them... Nirvana and only the Beatles have that. Is I do see and work in where I've worked at in these past few years, younger people having a Pink Floyd shirt, mm-hmm. a Rush shirt, and I'll ask them, "Do you are you?" uh I try to be nicer at first. I'd be like, "Can you name me three songs Name me five songs And I'm like that's kind of mean. I'm not trying to quiz you, <laughs> but you know that's kind of messed up. But I was like, "Are you a fan of the group, or you like the shirt?" And it was like the shirt, the shirt, the shirt with Nirvana. Young people know these songs Mm -hmm. they know the albums and they can name multiple songs and really talk in depth about it so that's like the staying power of you know nirvana and kurt cobain like 30 years almost since he's been gone a whole new generation knows that music
1: yeah because kurt cobain was in his feelings and as were a lot of grunge artists yeah i think that that taps into something that younger people right now can relate to and are feeling like those types of feelings that they that they sung about are almost timeless you know absolutely. so that, i guess that's not surprising then that younger folks now might gravitate towards stuff like that
0: absolutely and i think also we you know talking about it earlier being you know inclusive to women and those lyrics and not being you know the way it was with the, those 80s you know heavy metal bands and glam bands like i think that's also i see a lot of young women wearing nirvana shirts mm-hmm. and knowing the music so i think that's really cool as well
1: yeah agreed
0: are you ready though, Thomas? Because I'm so ready, ready to get into this, man. I'm so excited about this. Our, our five essential grunge songs. So I I picked this topic. So I'll have three of the five. Thomas gets the other two. But Thomas he has veto power in this episode. So he gets to if he chooses <laughs> gets to veto me. So I'm I'm interested to see if if Thomas is going to use that. If we're going to have our first veto by Thomas. I'm, I I want to know. I'm curious what episode that'll finally happen.
1: Let's go. Almost happened a few episodes ago with Eddie Murphy. but That's close. But common sense took over for me. And <laughs> when we chose the right one, we chose Absolutely. the right movie. So. Absolutely. So
0: you, you still haven't officially used that first veto yet. <laughs> exactly. So I'm ready to go, man. Are you? Let's go. Let's do it. So for my first choice, I have to go to something that I think it's the best song. If we're doing best, I would call this the best grunge song. But we're not doing best, but I do think it still is essential. And I'm going, for so many reasons, Temple of the Dog, Hunger Strike. And it's on the
1: table the mouths are.
0: Hungry, like, I'm i can,
1: you know, hungry,
0: and I just think this song was so important. I love that man. We should start a band together. You we know? really
1: should. That that if, if that was any indication, we would make it big.
0: At least a karaoke band. I'll say <laughs> that. <laughs> but I'll tell you, man, this song—just the power that this song always has, no matter when you hear it. Um, you know, obviously Chris Cornell has sadly passed away, but you know, one of the things that I'll miss is seeing him and Eddie Vedder do this song live and the passion that they had all these years still up until Chris you know his final days doing this song together and seeing that brotherhood and then knowing you know what this group was about and that tribute to Andrew Wood who a lot of people say you know Thomas he would have been that first star And Mother Love Bone would have been that first breakout group if Andrew Wood wouldn't have tragically passed away. And him being such a great friend of Chris Cornell, and that's where you know Temple of the Dog really, you know, members of Soundgarden, Mother Love Bone coming together doing something as a tribute for Andrew Wood. But then even how Eddie Vedder got involved just gives me chills when I think about it. You know, this song just is so powerful.
1: Yeah, yeah, really powerful. This was one of the. The initial list that I made had about 10 to 12, and this was on that list. Yeah. So, so then I mean, this this is a classic. It's interesting to me that Eddie Vedder was really new on the scene. Uh, yeah. Even when they did this, he he went up to Seattle from San Diego mm-hmm. and just kind of fell in. He had met Stone and Jeff, who Stone Gossard and Jeff Ament, who were in Mother Lovebone with Andrew Wood. And gosh, this is, you hear two powerful voices like, Working so well with one another and Eddie Vetter and Chris Cornell.
0: And the farming babies were sleeves are working.
1: The blood is on the table and the mouths are choking Hard not to think about this song and talk about grunge, and I figured he would come up. You know, we, we might see why just a little, <laughs> but <laughs> but I figured we would talk about Andrew Wood at some point. You're right; he was he was Mother Lovebone. Bone. I don't know if they would have. It might. It's like a Len bias sort of situation. Like I can't True. tell you whether or not they would have been one of the biggest bands in the world, but they were a great band, and I think they would have achieved a pretty good level of success. So this song, I mean directly related to somebody who Andrew Wood who was so impactful in the community touched so many people's lives and it's just amazing that Chris Cornell Eddie Vedder and everybody else on this song this song meant a lot to them and their their I think their way of like dealing with their own grief this song sounds aesthetically Deremy to me this is like grunge sounding
0: yes it's
1: yes down tempo it's a little droney but it still has like heart and passion to yeah
0: me. no i i like what you said like and i think our, our the as we go throughout the essential list it'll be an interesting topic is this a grunge sounding song or not and i definitely agree this one is and i think just like you said you know which eddie took a lot of slack Especially even from like Kurt Cobain for not being from Seattle, being from San Diego, and kind of coming down, which in hindsight we know is not fair, but that's that's what it was. A lot of people came at Pearl Jam in the scene because of that. But Eddie, you know, he had been there. I think that was his first week in Seattle, and you know, for those who don't know, but you know, Eddie's more laid back, kind of reserved, shy personality, and he was just watching. Chris and everybody else performed this song and knew that could kind of feel and could hear that Chris was missing something. And then Eddie just walking up to the mic and giving that I'm going hungry. And Chris Cornell says, that's what I was missing. He knew it. And it's like a divine intervention kind of moment between the two guys. And, and a big part of how Eddie Vedder got accepted to this grunge scene was Chris Cornell being like, Hey, this guy's with me. He's all right. Let it go. And a lot of people were like, if Chris says he's okay, we got to say he's okay.
1: Yeah. You're getting the Chris Cornell stamp of approval. You're right. In Seattle in 1990, 91, yeah. that was huge. I think Eddie Vedder, the, I think Parole Jam was still called Mookie Blaylock at the time yeah. When, yeah. when he was involved with this. And it was like Temple of the Dog. Like, I, I want to just give them like a, a shout out individually like of course we mentioned like eddie chris cornell stone gosser jeff ament mike mccready from pearl McCready, jam and yeah. matt cameron from soundgarden and later pearl jam just amazing musicians in what we could probably de- term as like a grunge like super group mm-hmm. even though it wasn't necessarily meant to be like a quote-unquote super group at the time it's interesting how the success of soundgarden and pearl jam retroactively made temple of the dog a super group
0: absolutely absolutely and i and i think that's the, what it, they were a super group even before they were they had established themselves as like mm-hmm. these dominant forces in in alternative music but this song just always gets and, it, and for me it's one of the few songs that hits equally like if you play the original recording the studio recording or if you play a live version <laughs> Both songs I'm um, I'm happy with. I'm not like, uh, both songs do it for me and put mm-hmm. me in that place and kind of just set the tone. So th- this was, you know, if you had picked this topic and say you picked this one first, I would have been like, damn. Like I, because I, this is just <laughs> such a song that hits me in so many ways. So Temple of the Dog, Hunger Strike, number one on essential grunge songs.
1: I dig it. I dig it, Jeremy. Great choice.
0: All right. All right. What you got, man, for your first choice.
1: Yeah, so when you said Andrew Wood, I was like, Oh man, is Daremy really gonna pick my my first choice? Like, is this really happening? But I guess this speaks to how important Andrew Wood was to the scene, how influential he was, how influential Mother Lovebone was to all these musicians. Stone Gossard and Jeff Ament again in Mother Lovebone. I'm gonna Keep it with a song that's about Andrew Wood. It's from the band that I referenced as being my my band originally in the in the early 90s around that time. I'm gonna go with Wood by Allison Chains. No, hey. Interesting, yeah, yeah. Sure. I I
0: know the song. I didn't think that's where you were gonna go with it. That's mm-hmm. interesting. What what led you to go with that one?
1: Gosh, so th- this song is just so personal. Like first of, it was written by Jerry Cantrell as a way to help deal with Andrew Wood's death. He had passed away in March of 1990, and this song is a tribute to Andrew Wood. And I think more so than a tribute to Andrew Wood as well, it deals with things that were going on as far as drug use around that time just in the entire community. Yeah. And I think, you know, Jerry wanted to ask people in this song not to judge Andrew or judge people with addiction too harshly. Jerry compares addiction to being caught like in a strong flood. Into the flood again then he says, like, so I made a big mistake, try to see it once my way. way. That's like, you know, understand, like, you haven't lived in my shoes. Like, you don't know what this addiction is like. Like, try to see it once my way. Like, acknowledging the mistake of getting caught up in heroin again but also asking for understanding and empathy. So I think I really like what Jerry Cantrell put so succinctly, what a lot of people in the community were feeling about that time as far as addiction, as far as who unfortunately passed on because of addiction, specifically Andrew Wood. So Jeremy, like, what do you think of, of this song, Wood by Alice in Chains?
0: I think it's an amazing song. I, I, if I had say the roles were reversed, I have veto power. You would not get a veto from me, at all. Like I think it's an awesome song, and one of those things, like you said, was so deep in showing how Andrew's death. You know, a lot of people. I remember in the Pearl Jam twenty documentary, Chris Cornell saying this that a lot of people say like, "Oh man, when grunge, when Kurt Cobain died." that's when grunge died. And and I'm looking back on that, maybe for like pop culture, the mass media, but he was saying for a lot of people who were in Seattle, in that movement, that really a big part of grunge died when Andrew Wood died. And I think, uh, you know, Lane and Jerry Cantrell and that group were really, really showing like that emotion. And also like, to your point, how progressive thinking, because in still the early nineties, we're still wrapped up in just say no Reaganomics, the, just that '80s feeling and not having, and we still have a long way to go with you know acceptance and understanding about the disease of addiction. But for him to say that back in the early '90s was really progressive, you know, for for that group for Allison Chains.
1: I mean, Allison Chains themselves, big partiers, really heavy into drugs around this time. Unfortunately, we know Lane Staley sent him down a road with no return. Um, Mike Starr, Let's the bass player, it. same thing that happened later on, a little later on in his life, but it ended up getting him as well. Um, So, Allison Chains was a band that lived in the excess and they felt the tragedy of what Jerry Cantrell wrote in this. And so, I should say, Allison Chains was Lane Staley on vocals, Jerry Cantrell on guitar and vocals, Mike Starr on bass, and Sean Kinney on drums. Allison Chains, as far as musically, too, they just tapped into something that was like, like I said, deep, but like heavy. And that's what appealed to me. To me, it was like this song especially sounds grunge. It's like in the sludge. It's like very. So the beginning, like Mike Starr with that bass line, like right at the beginning, like sets the tempo. me that's just such a perfect beginning to the song and then the drums hit so hard in this too by with Sean Kinney like everything about this is like full and powerful but also at the same time, like, again, like, like grunge, like, dr- a little drony and a little kind of in the muck. This right. album was called Dirt. And to me, that's, like, perfect. That's a perfect album name for a grunge album in 1992. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, like, 50 seconds into the song, almost a minute, like, when all the instruments coalesce and it becomes something full, there's this eerie ambient noise. Like, to me, just aesthetically, on top of the, what the song is talking about, aesthetically, This song is just like one of the songs when I think of grunge. And I'm talking about the Dirt version because they did an amazing unplugged version as well. But I'm talking about the version from Dirt, uh, from the album Dirt in 92. That's true. That's true.
0: And I think we should, because there might be unplugged, might come up again and stuff. You never know. But um, I think that's great that you referenced that. And Dirt, I feel uh, one of the great grunge albums doesn't get mentioned enough in my opinion, no. Thomas, like not like the way you hear about Nevermind or Ten or Bad Motor finger. dirt is an amazing, amazing album.
1: It was one of the my two one maybe top or top two favorite grunge albums from around that time. I really loved uh ten by Pearl Jam that's stood the test of time for me, but like it was hard to even like I was looking at dirt and I'm like, should I pick rooster like should I go with God, there's just like so many down in a hole. I'm like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go too depressed, like, you know, <laughs> because down in a hole is like another. It takes hole. you down. Yeah, it really does. Uh, but there's just like so many. That album, front to back, is just great. But to me, this is like the standout from the album. And to me, when I think grunge, "Wood" by Alice in Chains is like my first, my first choice.
0: Okay, that's a great pick. It's a different, unique pick. Um, I love it. And before I, I go to my third one, I, I'll say this. As time has going on for me, I think Alice in Chains is one of the most underrated bands in music, period. Not just like for grunge. I just think just hearing what they did at that time and how that stuff hits now mm-hmm. and how unique and how different they were you know we, we talked about what grunge sounds like and you know i think you have some bands nirvana has i feel like they're more punk influenced you know as far as like that punk or heavy metal thing like i feel like nirvana may have a little bit more of a punk influence uh, i feel like Soundgarden mm-hmm. kind of has a metal influence you Sound know
1: garden's like a black sabbath right very black sabbathy kind of yeah influence. sabbath yeah. It's a
0: little zeppelin mm-hmm. influence mm-hmm. but like the heavy metal influence that that Affects Alice and Chains and what they were to do with it. And I feel like they do enough where it, it is different. It is grunge. I think some people kind of would say, like, are they grunge or they feel a little heavy metal? But I think like they did enough in tweaking the guitar playing and tweaking also like just the harmonizing of the voices to make that like I feel the grunge effect when I listen to Alice and Chains.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it straddles that line really well uh they they could play they're one of the grunge bands who could be on an odds fest lineup and it wouldn't and it wouldn't be weird right but they also have those elements of grunge like the especially in the lyrics little things that they do musically that they're not totally heavy metal they totally fit in with that Seattle scene of quote-unquote grunge so I think I think that's right I think they just do such an amazing job of straddling that line and having uh, credibility from from a lot of facets different genres of, of music you know Jeremy uh, you'd mentioned how they maybe like re- resonate now sometimes I like to go down rabbit holes on YouTube I don't know if you do this but reaction videos yes yeah yes. so and and so it was it's fun especially people who may have like grown up listening to only hip-hop and then they'll start listening to like these rock songs and then we get like their reactions about these rock songs or something that like they you know hadn't heard before so i watched reaction videos on wood and i just it was just so much fun to see people you know reacting to it for the first time it's almost like me listening to the song for the first time through somebody else's eyes and ears you know like yeah this was one of the songs where i was just like let me find another reaction video to wood let's see what how how this person reacts to like this specific part, like the end, what they have to say, so it was really fun rabbit hole to go down to see how people reacted to listen hearing Wood for the first time.
0: Oh, that's awesome. No, um, I've done that with a lot of music, especially. I'll be honest, pre COVID and quarantine, I did not do that as much. Yeah. Since the quarant, the you know twenty twenty lockdown, and now I find myself constantly doing it and enjoying them because you're getting, you know, people. I I even have subscribed to a few. Mm-hmm different backgrounds different genres and seeing their reaction especially the music that like you know your era and our, our era growing up and seeing what younger people think or even older people think about it has been really cool to see so we have hunger strike temple of the dog and we have Alice and chains wood so we got two out of our five the third one it's, it's gonna be maybe a little controversial i don't know but i'm, I'm gonna I'm going to try to do it justice cuz I do believe in it. I was thinking about not doing it, but okay. I'm going to go for it and for this song, I think this this performance this night for me it was grunge's last like final great hour, you know, in my opinion. And going back, you know, this month will be 30 years since that amazing performance in New York. We lost, you know, sadly Kurt winds up dying you know four months after this so tragically and uh someone who we miss so much but and you set this up perfectly talking about reaction videos on youtube because i think my favorite reaction video of all of them has been this song seeing people look at nirvana where did you sleep last night from the mtv unplugged in new york album
1: my girl My girl, don't lie to
0: me. Tell me where did you sleep last night? In the plants, in the plants,
1: where the sun don't ever shine, I would shiver the whole night
0: through. The performance was November of '93, so. You know, when we're recording this, it'll be 30 years, which is insane that that's 30 years. The album came out in 94. But, I mean, I think obviously it grows with what happened with Kurt and the band and then the grunge movement just a few months later. But, Thomas, if he didn't pass away so tragically, this song to me is Nirvana. This album, this performance, Nirvana's shining moment here. And for it to end on this, you know, a Lead Belly song, which I I know back in the 90s, people were like, who? And to this day, a lot of people are like, who's Lead Belly? I think a lot of people know Lead Belly because of what Kurt Cobain and Nirvana did that night. But just the way they performed that and the way his vocals were and the way it dropped. And I mean, I think we just can hear it just building it. My girl, my girl. And him just going in on it. It's just so amazing. And then I think what I see from everybody when you watch a reaction video, and when he does that shivers, exactly, and and just how powerful it is, and it just hits you, and everyone's just like, "Whoa."
1: does that little like like Mm -hmm. he has like he like has to like get his breath yes
0: yes yeah i'm like
1: oh man yeah
0: and it's just so powerful and i mean that's how they finished that set that performance and people you know the producers for mtv wanted them to go back out and do an encore and kurt said no i can never top what i just did right there and he was absolutely right he could not top what he just did and for them to do you know a lot of these unplugs it's multiple takes combined nirvana did that was all one take what they did that night and it's one of the great live albums of all time one of the great perform one of the great vocal performances we've ever seen and i think for me and people may be like oh you're crazy but it took that album and it takes that song to see the genius in kurt cobain and nirvana for me like that's where i'm like that how brilliant these guys are and to make an old time song like that sound the grunge feel was amazing, so I, I have to put "Where Did You Sleep Last Night" by Nirvana.
1: Jeremy, this is one of my favorite songs of all time. This is okay. like a top five or ten all yeah. time favorite. Okay, I didn't song. I didn't know that. Yeah, like I got chills like when when you said that and we were starting to talk about the song because this is like one of my five to ten favorite songs by anybody ever. And Unplugged is a desert island album for me. Me too. So I would take Unplugged. Probably OK Computer by Radiohead and Sigur they They're uh, Untitled, which might be a band I have to introduce you to. I don't know okay. if it's Sigur Rós. So it would be like those three, but I would have to have Nirvana Unplugged with me uh, on a desert island. So this is just, it was an amazing night. It was, this song specifically, you could see it in Kurt's face. You could hear it in his voice that he was like, Reaching for something that was like beyond him or like within him, but like he, like he's just there was just something specific that he just needed to get out. Yeah, it was so fitting that it was the last song of the night, and it's even more haunting in retrospect because of what happened to him a few months later. Um, but when I was this, so this performance happened, I was 12, I had just turned 12. And I remember watching this on MTV, like when they aired it. I already loved—I was a twelve-year-old, loved Nirvana. So I watched this unplugged performance on MTV before it even came out as like a CD or whatever, right? Right. And I was just blown away. And this was the one that stood out to me, Kurt Cobain. So that was one of the—that was maybe the first celebrity death that really was a gut punch to me. So I remember happened in uh, in April of '94. And again, I was 12 years old, but I was just like, when I found out, I, it was like somebody kicked me in the, in the stomach. Yeah. And that's how it was at, at, at uh, my school, at my middle school. It's just everybody, like my group of friends and other people were just like, did you hear? Like, oh my God, it can't be real. What? We were watching MTV News after school just to get the updates. That was like a huge shock, a huge tragedy to me. Like when Kurt Cobain passed, and to me, this song, like, encapsulates, like, if, if anybody wants to see what Kurt was as a performer, yeah, like, I would point them to this song. To me, this is how I remember Kurt Cobain, was performing Where Did You Sleep Last Night. Like, truly, truly brilliant stuff, Jeremy.
0: No, it really was. And it's, um, I really do feel like it's Grunge's last great moment, in my opinion, was that night. It really did. Did officially end for a lot of people, you know, a few months, April 94, I think as, as heartbreaking, as tragic as all these deaths were. And that's, that's what, you know, we talk about where there's a lot of people who are struggling with the, the disease of addiction during this movement. I think it's something that this grunge movement. And when Kurt died for so many people, for a whole generation of people. It's uh, I know where I was when I found out, you know, on April 8th, 1994, that mm-hmm. Kurt Cobain died. And I think that's what is as heartbreaking as it is. It's phenomenal that this little movement from Seattle grew to affect the world so much that we're coming up on 30 years. And people still talk about him and Nirvana, but talk about that moment. And it's a moment for a lot of people. Like it's the day the music died is April 8th, ninety four. And they go back to this as this is like Kurt's goodbye to them. So it's such a powerful song.
1: Yeah, I was, I was going to say that, like, yeah, it was almost like people look at this song in particular as like a goodbye from Kurt, Yeah, which is just like that. That like gives me chills. Like the, the sound of his voice and the sound of the music gives me chills. And just knowing what happened after it gives me chills. Like this song, top 10 all time for Thomas. This is right. amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So that's a. Uh, so I'm guessing no veto. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no veto. Okay. <laughs> Good job, Darren.
0: All right. All right. All right. So where did you sleep last night, Nirvana? So Thomas, I'm. I want to hear your pick, my man.
1: So I d- didn't hundred percent mean for this episode to turn into like a Andrew Wood love fest, but. He was just so impactful with the scene. So I chose Wood from Alice in Chains, and I knew I was going to do that going in. I was hoping that you wouldn't pick an Alice in Chains song because I was excited about talking about Wood. You had chose Temple of the Dogs, Hunger Strike, right? Mm -hmm. Temple of the Dog exists because of Andrew Wood. But what I want to do, and we're going to do plenty of grunge topics, so like other grunge people and Mm -hmm. bands and stuff are going to be represented on this podcast at some point. But what I want to do is throw in an actual Mother Love Bone song. Okay. Into the mix. And it's from their only official uh studio release. It's from Apple, which came out in 1990. It's This is Shangri-La by Mother Love Bone. Yeah. Give me
0: I'm gonna have to hit okay. a pause and and uh and listen. I heard of the song, okay. but i it's not one that I know of, to be completely honest, so yeah, 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 take yeah. that
1: pause so before you pause, just I just want you to listen for like i'll I'll tell you real quick about the theme of the song is about Andrew Wood being most comfortable on stage, so we knew what he was going through in his personal life and his addiction in this song he's talking about. Here's where I am most comfortable. I love being on stage. Stage being Shangri-La, like this mm-hmm. is what that means. And I want you to listen to the joy and power in Andrew's voice, especially when he says like get me to the stage. It brings me home again. Like like this Andrew Wood's voice and passion in it. So like yeah, listen to this is Shangri-La by Mother Lovebone and we'll see everybody in a few seconds. All right.
0: So, very interesting pick. I, I got to be honest. Mm-hmm. I didn't know the title, but when I was listening to this, I have heard that it was like, okay, this is this. I do know this song. Yeah. I didn't know that that was the name of it. Okay. Um, man, now I don't have a veto, so it doesn't even matter if I <laughs> did, you know, but um, it's an interesting one that I'll, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm okay. It's definitely, I will say this it's essential. Now, we were ranking. Right. What I have in the top five, I'm not sure no, but Is it essential? It yes, I think it is And it's a really good song And I, I love that opening just with that guitar The way that guitar's coming in kind of is like that, all right, that's the grunge feel I'm looking mm-hmm. for. You know what I mean? It, it's a very good song, though.
1: Yeah, I, I thought you would like it. I think it's, a, to me, it's a building block for what grunge would become when it was fully formed and matured, maybe around like 93 or so. Mm-hmm. So Because this song and Mother Lovebone in general still had that kind of glam rock feel they kind of still had like they sounded like something maybe from the sunset strip like a guns and roses skid row right yeah type of feel to it but that's what was a lot of in the seattle scene around that time it wasn't just like sludgy guitars and grunge wasn't just fully formed and sounded like we know it like immediately much of the late 80s and early 90s seattle sound was kind of like this But I can hear the building blocks to like maybe what, and it makes sense because Stone and Jeff are in Mother Love Bone, but Mm -hmm. I can hear some kind of driving rhythms that we would see on a lot of Pearl Jam stuff going forward. Like on 10, there was still like very like driving guitars and rhythms and stuff. So I kind of see that building block in something like this, in this song, this is Shangri-La. And so I think it's important to point that out like you know, people think of, might think of grunge a certain way aesthetically, but a lot of the Seattle scene around that time did sound like this. There's a reason why a lot of bands look to Mother Love Bone and stuff like this as an inspiration, because this is almost like a building block of what grunge would become fully formed, Jeremy.
0: No, I agree, and I think that's why for me it's really, and I'm glad you said it at the beginning of the episode, it's a conversation I've had with a lot of friends over, honestly, the recent years of like can you really define grunge for you like and that's why i i go with more the attitude and like for that part more than the music because you're right a lot of times if you listen especially in the 80s they are still you hear the black flag and the black sabbath i'm not taking that away but like they're influenced by like a guns and roses type andrew wood even kind of had like a Axl rose kind of yeah. feel to him you know i like that you brought that up even though it, it went away from that and it was kind of like anti that it still was influenced by that in all honesty like at least farce like music wise it still had that influence from like Guns N' Roses
1: yeah people people think of grunge and bands like Nirvana totally destroying bands like Guns N' Roses and Skid Row and whatnot like I think more so the hair bands like Poison and those bands made like their time had come. Like if it wasn't Nirvana or and it would have been something else that displaced right. them. Right. But the Seattle band still had respect and they still liked that aesthetic of like I, I call it sunset strip rock. Yeah, <laughs> I give you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm with you. Yeah, so and Duff McKagan from, from Guns N' Roses is from Seattle. He actually left Seattle yeah. and went to LA and he became part of Guns N' Roses. So there is like some ties every now and then between like LA and Seattle. Duff and, was
0: on the plane with Kurt Cobain, like Kurt Cobain's final days. Like yes. he's next, they're next to each other. So I mean, yep. yeah, that's Seattle connection for sure.
1: Yeah, you're right. And I think what Andrew is singing about here and what he wrote about probably very relatable to a lot of artists around that time. Like we see it. I, I think when he's talking about himself, as far as like being at home on stage and that's where he really feels comfortable. He's like in, in total command when he's on stage. I see that with somebody like Chris Cornell too, you know, kind of an introverted personality, kind of like a, afraid of the line. Like Kurt Cobain was like that. Kurt Cobain famously didn't really like love the limelight necessarily or wasn't like he tried but he totally wasn't built for it. So I see a lot of figures in the grunge scene around that time relating to what Andrew was talking about in this song too.
0: Yeah, cuz I think um what and I've had conversations recently but always with people what fame and I've never gone through it so I'm, there's never any judgment on it, because I don't know how I would have handled it, especially being so young as these young men and women were, and that, you know, they're all 24, 23, 20, like, so we have to take that into consideration too, but money and fame and and success, quote unquote, it just highlights who you already are. So a lot of times these battles, whether with uh, the disease of addiction or mental health was kind of going on in this Seattle area a lot. And money and fame doesn't change that, you know? So I think that's what these guys are feeling like. The music that was an oasis for them, now, oh, we thought, hey, if we get successful with doing this full time, that'll be great. And it's like, no, now there come these other pressures and their only time being comfortable is on that stage.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So for all those reasons, uh, I feel like Mother Love Bones' This Is Shangri-La is uh, an essential for me, as far as grunge goes, Jeremy.
0: Great pick. I like it. I like it. I like it. And I, I definitely felt like Andrew Wood would be mentioned. You kind of have to talk. He's a, but this has been like a (laughs) tribute to, to Andrew Wood here. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. I have a feeling we'll have like grudge themed episodes going forward. And even if we leave out any bands or whatever, uh, maybe even we have a Nirvana song already on here. Maybe we'll do a five essential Nirvana songs episode. We definitely could. So we'll be represented more on this. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And I'm glad you said that because that's, I I try to like be well-rounded and go through a lot and want to give other people shine, but I'm down to two songs here and you can veto. So if you veto one, I can go to the other.
1: I do have a veto. Okay.
0: So, you know, you have it, but I feel like I know we already have Alice in Chains on here but a song that hits me that it's from and it's from the same album okay from that dirt album but i think it's probably their best song but i also think it's an essential grunge Them bones Die. It's one of those songs that I just love, and I think it's something where you can give me two minutes and thirty seconds of just boom in your face. I'm just going, and to me, that is them. You know, "Man in the Box" is a great song. I didn't put it on here because I feel like that is a really like a heavy metal. Song. I don't connect that with grunge. I I connect it with the story of grunge, but I don't connect "Man in the Box" with a grunge song, honestly. -hmm. Them bones, I do, and them talking about mortality and death, and then just that lane that ah, that screaming with it, and them bones, like, and and just that, and just that intensity that keeps like revving up and it'll die down but rev up again. I just think this is their best song, and to me, one of their songs that are truly a grunge song. So I had to put, or at least try to put, Allen's and Chains, them bones. For um, my third choice.
1: Well, if you want two Alice in Chains songs on a five essential list, you're talking to the right guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe that eased some a little bit when earlier in the episode I said that I was an Alice in Chains guy.
0: <laughs> well, it, it what did it was it I was going to say it earlier. Uh-huh. This song, but then when you said would I was like, All right, maybe I'll go to another one because you used wood. But then I'm like, I wouldn't be being true to myself, to you, or to the listeners if I didn't. This is one that I was like, I wanted to talk about and put on the list because I think it is essential.
1: I love that it's on the list, honestly, Jeremy. And to me, Them Bones, there's no better start to an album for me personally. I, it's hard for me to think of a better start to an album than yeah. Them Bones. On dirt because it's, it's announcing itself immediately. There's no like soft intro into the song, into the album by default, since this, this is the opening track. You turn on dirt and it's just like. <sighs> know what you're getting into immediately with Mm -hmm. them bones this is such a great choice this gets me hyped like and i feel bad because when i was mentioning some of the songs i like from dirt i mentioned down in a hole rooster them bones would have been like i'm so glad you. i
0: was keeping track i was so glad you didn't say it
1: yeah so (laughs) maybe that was like yeah that was like a little serendipitous but them bones would have been like right after wood i would have said like them bones and probably rooster right after that like those Mm -hmm. are the tracks from this album that really really stand out to me and i'm a big fan honestly Jeremy, of like metal like i like really heavy music Mm -hmm. as well i had a phase in in like the mid 2000s where i would go to metal shows and get into the mosh pits and i would listen to pantera you know so i really love heavy music and still yeah yeah to this day them bones is a perfect like again it straddles the line perfectly between like what's grunge and what's heavy metal and it's just Alice in Chains doing their thing and having their style and I think it fits both genres however you want to define them perfectly but my main takeaway from this song is just it gets me so hyped to listen to this whole album.
0: And that's the thing I think sometimes you know there's certain songs that or you know when we did our Beatles episode Eleanor Rigby how short of a song that is but it just gets right into it and you're just like whoa i think of uh the stooges for me i want to be your dog it's just like whoa what am i listening and it's like, really, that song's so short because it feels like, you know, I'm tired after getting so hype and so amp, And then Bones does that for me. I, thank God it is two minutes and 30. If that was like a five minute jam, <laughs> yeah. I'd be passing out, man. It'd, I'd be it'd like, be exhausting. Yeah, I'd be like, take me to the hospital. I can't breathe anymore, man. I'm just so hyped. So thank you, Alice and Change, for not making that a long song because I don't think I could have made it. I, whew, that that would have been a workout in itself, just trying oh. to keep up to that. It, but it, you're right. There's no. Notes, no words, anything wasted. It just is boom, right to it. Two minutes, 30 Mm -hmm. seconds of intensity.
1: And kind of what the song's about, too, fits Alice in Chains and how they were as abandoned, and kind of how they lived. Because the song's about, like, our own mortality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what the song's about. But Alice in Chains is saying, like, enjoy it. Like, yeah, we're all mortal, but enjoy your life and lived it. And now they lived it to excess. And if you read Mark Yarm's book, his oral history, you really find out about the excess that Alice in Chains Live not right. uh, you know with Lane Staley and Mike Starr, that was obvious, but the whole band, when they were on the road, my Lord, so I think they've lived this aesthetic, yeah. lived this message maybe to an unhealthy degree, but that's just kind of what the band was, like this is yeah th- so that's kind of what the I guess a the theme of the song is mm-hmm. for them, bones, um, but it really fits Alice and Jane's,
0: yeah, I think it's it's high, it should be at least I didn't really I wanna make sure this was authentic, so not looking at. Best of or best grunge, but I, I'm sure anyone would say have it pretty high on their list, like Albums and Chains, Thin Bones. Like I, I just think it's just truly them hitting it and kicking it off an album that I think doesn't get enough love as helping to propel this grunge movement.
1: Yeah, and I like as far as five essential, Jeremy. I like that because we don't have a rule that says oh you have to only have one band. Or you, right. you can only have one song by one band in the five essential. Like we don't have that rule, and I think this is a good example of why, because it fits and and would fit. And Alice in Chains was an important band, obviously, to the genre. So I like that we got that out of the way. We have an episode where there's two where there's two songs by the same artist. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so that's great. It's this is turned into an Andrew Wood and Alice in Chains kind of themed tribute. episode, tribute mm-hmm. episode, which I love. So I I really enjoy and I think this was a dirty trick by you for me not to use a veto cuz you knew I'm an Allison Chains guy.
0: I definitely play a little part. It play a little <laughs> part. I I you threw me off though because you went Allison Chains so early. So I was hoping my perfect plan was hunger strike dim bones and then just like to end okay you know the unplugged album where did you sleep last night i'll be like oh he's like it synchronizes it goes together you threw me off though with the, i was like i can't do i can't do back-to-back alice and Chains conversation i'm like so that's why i had to mix it up so you did throw off the the maniacal plan of Jeremy, but <laughs> it's still i still able to execute it but right. you know i i agree with what you said about having two songs because you know it's key for people to remember, like when we say essential songs, it's just those songs that we feel like help to define grunge. And that doesn't take away if there's a band, you know, if you're like, where's Pearl Jam? Where's Soundgarden? We, you know, I hate to, I don't like speaking for anyone, but I could, sure, I could speak for Thomas. We know and appreciate and love everybody's history in it. So it's like we're doing the the essential history of grunge. We don't need to because Mark Yarm did it, but still like, then we're going to talk about them, but it's just those songs that we're like, Hey, if you don't know anything about grunge, if you never heard anything about this type of music, these are the five songs that we're picking that this kind of, you can get an idea of what grunge was back in the nineties.
1: Yeah. And we, we still, we represented Soundgarden and Pearl Jam. With Temple of the dog, true, so that, true, that that's a, a good, good point. That's a good point. <laughs> that, so, the, that was a good uh trick right there, Jeremy. Is like, <laughs> hey, we represented these two bands, so we're not, yeah, that's true. You know. That's but, true. Uh, uh, yeah, I think this was, I think this was good. Definitely fun to re listen to a lot of this, make my playlist, and just I must have listened to Wood and some of my other tracks. This is Shangri La dozens of times when I'm at the gym on the bike. I had, like, wood playing in my head, like, for, for a lot of that, and I was just, like, those songs are seeping, like, seeped into into my soul again.
0: That's, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. So let me, uh, I'll do a little recap here. We have, for the first one, Hunger Strike by Temple of the Dog. Second, we have Alice in Chains' Wood. Third, Nirvana from the Unplugged album, Where Did You Sleep Last Night. Fourth... Is Mother Love Bone. This is Shangri La, and fifth is Alice in Chains. Them bones. So that's our five essential grunge songs from the Pop Culture Five podcast. So uh, definitely, you know, on social media at Pop Culture Five, hit us up. Let us know if you agree, disagree, what songs you think we missed, and you know, just different things. And also give us your recollections, your feelings about what grunge means to you. Even if you were around that era or if you're younger, but getting into it now, it doesn't matter. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are about grunge and how you define it because, you know, we love to hear your opinions on it too. So, yeah, Thomas, do you want to give them a little preview of what the next episode will be?
1: So next episode is another actually – so we talked about how how grunge led to Pop Culture 5, led to this podcast. Mm Mm-hmm. Next episode is going to be a topic that actually are the, is the reason why Deremy and I know each other in the first place. Right. So we're talking five essential 2000s SNL sketches. Mm. So a lot of you, of course, I've referenced it before. I'm one of the co-hosts for uh, SNL Hall of Fame. Deremy's been my guest on the SNL Hall of Fame. Yep couple times uh breaking down uh dick ebersole and adam mckay's candidacy so that's how we came in contact is because of of the snl podcast so i figured what better way you know to celebrate which which is uh our 10th episode than to to mark that occasion by doing an snl topic so 2000s snl sketches
0: that's gonna be interesting because i think the 2000s were a very interesting decade in snl history so i can't wait for that
1: yeah so i should say january 1st 2000 to december 31st 2009 Mm. so that's the that's what we're working with there as far as snl sketches
0: all right man can't wait so for my tag team partner mr thomas senna i'm deremy dove thank you guys for listening to pop culture five peace
1: Catch some such.